You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome to All Creatures Podcasts. Today, I'm very excited to be talking with Dr. Kenny Rosler. He is a researcher at the Argentinian Council of Scientific Research at Buenos Aires University and is the Associate Director of the Conservation Department of Aves Argentinas, which is a BirdLife International Partner in Argentina, and it's dedicated to conservation and birdwatching, and it's the oldest environmental organization in South America. Kinney is recognized as a global authority on hooded grebes, and he's been studying their conservation ecology and is working in the Patagonia region to bring back the hooded grebes from extinction. And Kinney is also an affiliate of the Zoological Society of London's Edge of Existence program, which we've highlighted several times on the podcast because of their amazing work to save threatened species that represent a significant amount of unique evolutionary history. And just recently, Kenny and his team was awarded the 2021 Whitley Award from the Whitley Fund for Nature. And the Whitley Award is often considered the Green Oscars because it awards money to grassroots conservation leaders across the global South. So it's a really big deal. And I'm very excited to talk with Kenny today and have him tell me his story and hopefully get you all excited about the hooded grebe. So hello, Kenny, are you there? Hello, how are you, Angie? It's a pleasure to be here and try to talk to you about the hooded grebe conservation. Well, I'm very excited to have you on the podcast today. And if you can get started, can you tell me a little bit about yourself and your background? Well, I'm a conservation biologist. I have my PhD on the Buenos Aires University. Uh, and basically, my PhD, I got it by studying the hooded grebe. Uh, the, I, I, but most importantly, I'm kind of a bird watcher since ever. I, can, I cannot remember when I start almost. And, and I've been doing bird watching, and that was the, the reason I get involved with Hood Grip actually, because I was invited to the first to, to join the first crew that went to the uh, highland plateaus of Austral Patagonia back in 2009, 2010, mm-hmm. because I, I, I have the experience in the area, I have experience with to look for rare birds and stuff like that. 
but when we, we went there, we realized that the situation was really bad. And so I decided to stay there and kind of start my PhD on the grip. But kind of on my heart, I'm a, I'm a Shastaber watcher. Well, I always uh, joke that I'm turning into a bird nerd myself. That's what we call them, bird nerds. <laughs> but it's, it's, a, it's a positive thing. Uh, it's awesome. And I don't know about you, but especially throughout this pandemic, I find a lot of people are doing more bird watching in their own backyards and learning to appreciate uh, things that they maybe took for granted before. So I'm hopeful that people are learning to love birds more. Yeah, actually, I, I have been interviewed on many radios in Argentina because people start to, to question about, wow, there is more birds around. Whoa, there it is. The, the, the wildlife is on the cities. And what I was telling them is that actually what I, my feeling is that they just kind of start to realize that the birds were always there. And they are right. just like get, getting the time to watch on them and start to realize that there were many species different. There was not only pigeon sparrows, but there were also raptors and parrots and open birds and stuff like that going around the cities. And so, yeah, I think in the, the, at least I'm a Twitter, Twitter fan. And in Twitter, there is a lot of people like starting to do them by watching during the pandemic. And that's kind of, well, that's, a, that's a, one of the few good sides of the pandemic, I think. Well, yes, Kenny, I think that uh, sounds like you were definitely an early adopter starting to birdwatch. And a lot of more people are hopefully starting to fall in love with it. And I, I think it'll be a positive for birds, especially the more we get their stories out there. And so speaking of stories, do you have like a favorite bird interaction or uh, conservation story that really sparked the interest in you to want to really fight for either the hooded grebe or other birds in general? Well, not, not really one specific one. It's, it's kind of a, it's been a already kind of a, a lifetime on, on birding and conservation and going around. I'm, I grew up in a small town in, in the Pampas, in the middle of the Pampas. So I spent most of my childhood in the, in the, in the, in, in the wild, in the wild, basically going around. So I, I, I cannot remember one specific uh, situation. Perhaps the most shocking or the most kind of uh, the the most important uh, conservation situation that I, I had to live uh, was when when we realized that the American mink was an in, uh, in sport in, important uh, threat for the for the hood grip because we, we found that in the, in the really really kind of a hard way because we were monitoring the first colony that we had found in since we started the project. We have been working for three years in a row and we have found no breeding at all. And suddenly we found this amazing colony with over 30 nests of the hood grebe. It was amazing, it was a perfect leg, it was really well protected. The chances to have many chicks in that colony was really high and suddenly one day, we went there and there was like this picture of that there was the, the, the time was frozen, that the, there was no movement in the colony. Grips are really active when they, they are in the colony, they are fighting all the time, they are really noisy. Hooded colonies are very tight colonies, all the nest, all next to, together. And suddenly this was like frozen. And when we get close to that, there were all the, the birds were dead over the nests. And they were, we, we couldn't understand what was what was happening because we we even thought they, they were poisoned, there was something like that. And when we get to the to the, to the birds to the colony, we, we have to take a boat and go there. And there was they were all had been killed by one mink 
in only one night and there were like 33 adults dead. They were still lying the, uh, on, over the eggs. Uh, was kind of, that, 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 I think that moment was extremely shocking because I realized that how fragile the species was and that kind of changed my, my, my entire life. That from that moment, I, can, I basically I didn't leave, leave the, 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 the plateaus where the groups live. Uh, while they are breeding, I'm there or I have people working there because I know, I think that kind of probably the most important moment, yeah. And with that experience, can you give us a little background on how you came to work for Aves Argentinas? Well, um, I'm a member of Aves Argentinas since I am 14 years old. And I've basically been in every kind of part of the institution now. Okay. It's kind of a, for, for conservation institution in, in Latin America, it's quite big. It has a staff of over 50 people like working full time there. Uh, and I've been, seen, I, I even work as a librarian. They have, they, Argentina has the, the biggest ornithological library in Latin America as well. As they have very old books, it's kind of an amazing library. So when I was, I, when I just started university, I was so fascinated about kind of ornithology and all these old books and old journals that uh, I basically I was hired to be the librarian and I worked there for a couple of years and so it was kind of a, an amazing moment. But I I, I I virtually been part of all the institution. I've been part of many conservation projects and and I've been even I, I have been guide of this their field tours that they, they made for the, the, their members and I've been part of the board. So I, I basically, I cannot, uh, I'm, I'm, it's kind of my, my second home. Uh, so, yeah. Well, and Kenny, you're in a very beautiful region of Patagonia. Uh, can, I've, I was lucky enough to travel um, through Argentina and Chile many years ago. And I spent several days, not long enough, in a town called Bariloche. And I just fell in love with it. Um, I can't wait to go back. For, for those listeners that are um, from the U.S., Bariloche reminded me a lot of Lake Tahoe, uh, which is a beautiful mountain city in the West here in the United States. And so can you give our listeners a, a description of just what the Patagonia region is like, uh, where you're staying? Well, Patagonia is a kind of a very... It's a huge area, it's huge, right. but basically you can divide it in three. The, the coast where you have these very huge beaches with nobody there, where a lot of marine wildlife, awesome whales, uh, killer whales, uh, sea lions, etc., etc. Then a big part of uh, steppe, very dry desert. Mm -hmm. in, and in the west, the Andes, where are the humid Patagonian forest, is and you have these huge lakes and i think i never been to the to the west in the us but i think i can imagine that could looks like a little bit uh and everybody says, says that also is kind of quite similar to some part of europe in the alps which I, i've been there i think is kind, kind of resemble but well i but i'm limited very much as you said that it's a beautiful city with this huge lake the nawal wapi lake but Around the area, you have like, I don't know, like 10 more lakes in a very, very short range. And it's quite awesome because you can drive a few, few kilometers and you, you can be in a 
very very dry desert in and you can try to few kilometers to the west and you have you can be in a kind of a almost a, a jungle of, uh, of a, a cold jungle called the Valdivian forest so it's kind of kind of cool if you are uh, into wildlife actually so yeah it's an awesome place I actually quite new and living in this area I used to spend some a little time in Ushuaia in this extreme south of Patagonia Mm -hmm. which is awesome to be on holidays, but it's a little bit extreme to live there. So we decided to, to move to Bariloche. <laughs> yeah, when I was traveling with my best friend, I have to give her a shout out, Nani. We, we were in Bariloche and she really wanted to catch a bus to southern Argentina and go to Tierra de Fuego, if I'm saying that right. And... Uh, but I, I said, no, it's too cold for me. I can't do that. Uh, or I, didn't, I didn't want to do that at the time. And now that I'm older and I, I'm not traveling as much and lots more responsibilities, I'm totally kicking myself and wishing I would have kept exploring the region. But yes, hopefully I'll get back someday. That's for sure. And I, I definitely didn't do enough bird watching when I was there the first time. So uh, now that I know more, uh, hopefully I could enjoy it even, even, even better. So now, Kenny, uh, for some of our listeners, could you describe some of the characteristics of a hooded grebe? Like, what does it look like? What's some of its ecology? Any favorite behaviors that it might do? Well, the hooded grebe is kind of a, in, in some in some sense, it's a, it's a typical grebe because mo most of the grebes uh, that you have many species in North America are quite all more or less alike. They have, they have more, more or less the same uh, morphological pattern. They have the, the, the legs on the back because they are, they are because of the name Podiceps, which is the, the genus, uh, which means feet on the back, basically. Uh, so they, can, they can't walk on, the, on land. So they are kind of one of the most well-adapted birds to the, to the water environments, even more than ducks, because they can, cannot even left the water at all. Uh, so... The hooded grebe is kind of uh, one of the, the the most kind of interesting characteristic of the hooded grebe is that it lives in a ha in a habitat where no other grebe can basically can live. It's kind of really extreme habitat. It's kind of Austral Patagonia has this typical the kind of hundred kilometers uh, winds. Uh, they have these kind of uh, storms all the time. It's, they don't have kind of much uh, um, water vegetation, so they have the only this only plant. So basically, the most interesting thing is about the habitat of the grebe. But also, it's quite one of the most charismatic grebe species because of the of the plumage. It has this black and white contrast with the crown, quite similar to the crested grebe from Europe and, and Asia. And and they have this kind of awesome displays, similar also to the crested grebe, but also kind of can compete with the Clarks and Western grebe from the US. And so it's one of the most kind of interesting grebe, in, in or, or, or at least in the family. Um, but I think one of the, th the, the, the reasons which is, becomes really popular is one of the sad reasons. That is very rare. There are only about 750 individuals left. So that's probably one of the, the most popular characteristics, which is not cool, but well, it's what gets coming. Well, I know, Kenny, and when I was reading about it, I couldn't believe that it was only recently discovered in 1974. So could you touch on the conservation story of the hooded grebe and what, what we do know about the current population? 
yeah, as you mentioned, Angie, it's, it's kind of, uh, that's also kind of the, the, the interesting fact of the degree was grapes are really well known. I was called the attention of many biologists, in, 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 more especially of behavioral biologists. Actually, the famous uh, biologist Julian Huxley, the grandson of Aldous Huxley, Mm -hmm. uh, was kind of interested on, on, on the hood grieve and actually wrote a, on not sorry not on the hood grieve on the crested grieve and actually wrote a really interesting paper in 19, 1914 about the, the display of the hood, of, of the crested grieve and a lot of people have been standing grieves but the hood grieve was discovered just in 1974 as you mentioned so when it was discovered, this amazing grave, which, which was not a dull gray grave, was a really kind of colorful, yeah, the, the really head is so, fantastic. Yeah, the head is so beautiful and colorful. Yeah. yeah, so when it was discovered, basically called the attention of everybody in the world and a lot of, basically the, the, the top specialist on grapes at that time, basically flew immediately down to Patagonia to, to try to understand what's, why that grave was, had been kind of unseen for such a long time. And what they discovered was that the, the well, at, at the first time when it was discovered, they, they only knew one place where the group was, and there was only 150 individuals unknown. So they thought there was kind of a, the, the species was naturally vanishing. And that, that was the reason that was uh, unseen for such a long time. But then they started to explore a little bit more. I started to, to, to take planes and start to look for most more habitat around. I start to 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 talk with people, and they realized that the grip was not that uncommon, and actually that they it lives in in a much bigger area that was first thought, and the population was estimated to to be over five thousand individuals. So so it was doing quite all right. And actually, in 1997, the International Union for Nature Conservation uh, said that it lives in such a remote place. That there were there was no reason to think that human will have any impact on the populations. Right. Okay. Nineteen ninety-seven. That's not that far ago. No. So basically, the, the species was put under the category of near threatened by BirdLife. Okay. And so people basically get relaxed because everything right. was going okay. Yeah, they're thinking uh, nothing. Yeah. Yeah, people was was doing okay the, during the 80s, the Fundación Vida Silvestre Argentina, the WWF partner in Argentina, had was working a lot with the species and they really got a lot of information about the, the species. So everybody was doing okay. And, and basically the, the kind of, one of the, the kind of curious things that was that the bird watching companies start to realize in the, in the early 2000s, the, there was the, the green was getting rarer and rarer and was harder to find and they had troubles with their, their groups of bird watchers to find it and that was the reason that Aves Argentina San Ambiente Sur the, the local NGO went to to Santa Cruz to to, to basically to try to to see what was happening but the, basically the conservation history was everything was okay was a lot of individuals human cannot reach them because they live so far away but well, humans has this ability to reach everything. Unfortunately, <laughs> I mean, yes. Unfortunately, yeah, yeah. And now, Kenny, can you talk about what you and your team are doing to help improve the breeding success of the hooded grebes? Yeah, basically, to 
try to recover grid population who had to work on the on over the threats basically right, try to uh, tackle the threats and what what was happening was the first basically the question because uh, as i mentioned the 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 bird life thought that there was no reason to to think that there was a problem mm -hmm. but we went there we, we saw that there was a problem so basically the our work is to try to control the the local threats and there are two two kind of two types of threats one the global climate change that is affecting the the, the planet earth basically everything is affecting but then we have like localized threats which are the invasive invasive species so basically to try to recover grid populations we are working on trying to control the invasive species because we know that the grid has a long evolutionary history so we know that it has survived in the past to, to many changes in the in the weather so we can think that it is able to to survive this global climate change if humanity can control it of course because otherwise we are going to be all in problem in troubles uh but so basically what we are working now we are trying to to control uh we we don't want to lose any reproductive adults basically by american mink so we have this huge uh, american mink control program that is basically spreading in all over the degree of distribution Mm -hmm. But also, we have this technique called colony guardians, which are field technicians, trained field technicians, uh, that basically lives with the grips. Once we find a colony of grips, basically we set up a camp and we put a, a colony guardian, these people that is trained to that task, also with volunteers. And basically, they live with the grip during the whole breeding season. And they... they the job oh. is basically to monitor, yeah, to do monitoring. They have to be every day and night trying to see how, how the situation is going, and they have to be prepared in case some of the threats shows up. And the threats are American mink and kelp gull. Kelp gull is a native species, but has spread into the continent following following human settlement, basically city dumps. So basically, the job is to be around and so be prepared. If yeah. any of the, the predators uh, shows up, they have to control them. Okay. Um, so it's kind of a very stressful because they can spend three months and nothing happen, but in one day they can lose all the colonies. So they have to be all the time focused on the on their on their task. Wow. A breeding colony guard. I've been doing this podcast for a couple of years now and I've interviewed amazing people, but I don't I that's the first time I've ever heard about a colony guardian. And it sounds like, like you said, a little bit of a stressful job. But a, a beautiful and fascinating opportunity to help save these hooded grebes. I mean, they they need the guardians. Yeah, it's it's, it's it actually is it's amazing how how the people gets concentrate and basically get feels responsible for the for the for the fate of the of the of those individual breeding. Uh, so you need really special people. Uh, so it's it's not easy to to have people that is going to fit to that that task because they have to be really good observers because because they have to be prepared to find mink tracks or mink scats any sign of mink they have to be prepared to to detect the calls before they arrive to the colony because they have to basically flush it once it's before its arrival right uh, yeah and, and basically what they do they 
took they take like tons of of scientific data as well because they are all the all day monitoring so they they are taking information they collecting information about i don't know the breeding the the breeding strategy of the breed the population of the other waterbirds in the lake they are they are taking a lot of a lot of data um, behavioral data is, is is amazing how much data we have collected since we started with the colony guardian and actually the the result of the colony guardian is that we have we had compared naturally kind of uh, colonies, natural colonies with no protection and colonies with colony guardians. And basically the, the colonies with colony, with colony guardians duplicate the, the, the rate of, of chicks per pair. Uh, wow, per that's season. wonderful. Yeah, it's kind of amazing. Even though if there is no predator, the, the, the breeding success increase because basically with the presence of the colony guardians, they don't have any, any, any competitor, uh, any other species competing for the nest, which also usually happens with coots. But when the people is around, the coots go away, and so the grief stays in the area. So it's quite uh, amazing. But it's, as I tell you, it's, it's not easy to get that people, the, the colony guardian. You have to have really kind of special people to do that. Right, a, lo a lot of training and dedication. Yeah. Like I, you probably wouldn't have wanted me doing it when I was in my 20s and backpacking through Bariloche. <laughs> well, actually, actually, we have had uh, at least I would say three uh, colony guardians from the U.S. Okay, Bobby, Bobby Wilcox, and Caitlin Murphy are still coming every every summer. Uh, they are they are they are professional field technicians. Uh, now I think they are working in the U.S. doing some monitoring in the in the Midwest or the West. I think uh, we had a. Bob Taylor, who also from Ohio, I think was coming from a couple of years. And basically you have to take people from all over the world because it's, it's not an easy, an easy, right. an easy, an easy yeah. task. So, yeah. Wow, okay, that is just incredible. And at the end of the podcast, we'll give our listeners um, different websites in case they do want to get involved or learn more about some of these programs. And as always too, we'll put all your information up on our show notes on our webpage. But Kenny, I was reading that your team is helping to establish some national parks in Patagonia. Would you mind uh, talking a little bit about that? Well, the, the history of the Patagonia National Park, actually the name is Patagonia National Park. Okay. Uh, mm -hmm. It's kind of a pretty interesting history because um, when after the first field uh, campaign that we, we did in the, in the, early, in the early times in December 2009-2010. After that campaign, that we we barely know the area, we were kind of trying to understand what what was happening happening with the grid. We we were just learning about the situation. We have this this kind of small workshop between all the people that had uh, that was involved with that campaign, and we said, okay, we probably need to set up a, a kind of. A, some kind of reserve because the situation was really bad. We, we didn't understand what was happening exactly at that time, but we, we realized that the things were really, really bad. Um, so they said, okay, where was the first question? Where is, where is the most important area? And we decided basically that the Buenos Aires Lake Plateau, one of the plateaus, which is in Northern Santa Cruz province, next to the Andes, a little bit south of Buenos Aires Lake, was the kind of the right place. Uh, so we start to talk with National Park Administration. Actually, we, we managed to get them to the plateau and they were kind of really happy about the, what they saw. And we realized that 
by creating that national park, we can protect 50% of the group population. So it was kind of a good That's thing. That's big. Yeah. Yeah, it was, was critical. And suddenly we, we, we realized that there was this kind of, this guy who is really famous, at least in South America, and I think is kind of famous also in the US, Douglas Tompkins, which is kind of a philanthropist from the US. Mm -hmm. um, basically, he, he, he runs, he, well, he, he, he passed away a few years ago. Um, he basically, he, he, he ran this big NGO called Conservation Land Trust. And mm -hmm. he had, he was trying to create a national park in, in the Ibera Marshes in Northern Argentina. He had created Monte Leon National Parks in the coast of Patagonia. And he has this huge national park just next of, uh, to the, that area in, in the other side of the Andes in Chile. So basically, we, we went to, to Chile and we talked to him. We take him to the plateau and he was really interesting. And so basically, we joined forces with Conservation Land Trust, basically with Douglas Tompkins uh, and, we, we, and with National Park Administration. And basically, it was, it was shockingly easy to create that national park. In just two years, we basically, we decided which area the Tompkins managed to get the money to buy some land. He donated to the state, and basically the, the government created the national park. And in 2015, we, all, we, we, we already had the national park, and that was awesome because that was kind of a really uh, kind of a cornerstone for conservation of the grim. Uh, so that was kind of a really successful conservation history. But, well, still a lot to do. Well, yeah, but it's really hopeful that as you mentioned, that it was more or less easy. Of course, it took time and a lot of great communication, but it just gives me and hopefully my listeners out there that, that if you do have this idea and you want to get something done and you bring the right people together for a good cause, obviously protecting the hood of greed, that positive things can be done towards conservation, right? That not, not all hope is lost. Yeah, and, and actually that's as even a... a, a, a kind of a very positive positive twist also uh, because when Tompkins uh, started to purchase some land basically he he bought some other uh, another ranch next to the national park which has the this amazing old house and basically he kind of donate to Aves Argentinas and now we, we create the Juan Mazar Barnett biological station and it's kind of a really important place for conservation for us. It's our base station, basically, but also had been kind of a really important uh, place to to conserve to another uh, research research project. No, no, not only for Argentinian researchers, but also from from many other institutions. We have researchers from Smithsonian, uh, from the US, from the Zoological Society of London, of course. And uh, now we are working with people from Uni University of uh, California. So we are, we are bringing people to the, calling the attention of people from outside to Patagonia, which is really important because we need information to try to protect the, the habitat. So it's kind of awesome. Uh, so that was also a really important kind of a, a fact that, that, that happened then in Patagonia. Yeah, no, it gives me goosebumps just knowing that there's, there's so many people out there that do want to, help protect this bird and of course the Patagonia region in general and your team has been recognized by the Whitley Awards uh, for doing that for continuing to protect the hooded grebe and I just wondered if you wanted to touch on 
what your team will plan to do with this grant that you've been awarded and and how it feels to be recognized. Because, you know, in the scheme of things, uh, your organization is uh, maybe not as prominent or well-known as World Wildlife Fund or some of these, these bigger institutions that, of course, do wonderful things. But I just, it's so great to know that the Whitley Awards are out there recognizing local grassroots conservation for what you and your team are doing for the Hooded Grebe. So kudos to you. And I just want to hear what, what your goals are for the next couple of years. Well, yeah, as, as you mentioned, Whitley Award is kind of a extremely good opportunity. It's kind of a, yeah. this, this uh, foundation is kind of a, not only supporting us, as a, or this, as you said, that uh, this conservation, local conservation groups from, from the global south, but also they are they're kind of they are pushing in in a, I can I'm kind of shocked about the the impact that Whitley has on the popularity of the project. Basically, our project we we have been running for over ten years. We have managed in the past to get to national newspaper, national television, but in these two weeks since the Whitley Award was presented, we basically we show up everywhere. Uh, that's kind of amazing because. That, that's not only the, the support with the money, which is really important because that's going to allow us to keep working for the next year, is this now basically all politicians, all decision makers knows us. And that's kind of awesome because you can sit in the table with it, that people in a different way. You, you can discuss from, you can say, okay, our work is recognized by everybody outside Argentina. So basically you have to pay attention to what we are doing because yeah. it's kind of your responsibility now that, Something that we are we are doing here locally is kind of so important that everybody is, is talking about it. So and, and politicians actually like that. They, they they want to talk with a, a person who had this recognition because actually they, they they need that 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 kind of relation as well for their popularity. So that's I think that's kind of the most amazing idea. We can discuss in a different way because of the popularity that gives the Whitley Award, and and that's I think that's awesome. And about the, the continuation of the project is basically what we were talking just now about that the grip is going to, we want to try to make the grip a symbol for whole Patagonia. We have to, we want to, actually our project, uh, our Whitley project is called Could Grip uh, the Guardian of Patagonian Steep, basically oh. because... We, we want to transform the hoodie grip into a flagship species to protect the whole habitat of Patagonia, the, the other species of Patagonia. Also by protecting the hoodie grip as well, of course. But uh, even one of the, the kind of the, 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 the most important part of the Whitley Award uh, was because we, we are working with the Juan Mazar Barnett Biological Station. And we want to kind of create this kind of con field conservationist course trying to kind of teach young kind of young conservationists how to to do a conservation project in the real world we want to try to teach them how to do monitoring how to deal with i don't know with uh, administration with communication it's and stuff like that and we want to take people not only from argentina but all all over latin america and, and if we can from other parts in the world to the, our course so I think what we want to do is to outsource the hood grip project and try to have a regional or national impact or even international impact. We want to try to 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 make the hood grip kind of not only protect itself by this charisma it has, but also to protect everything. 
Yeah. Well, that's just really inspirational. And I mean, the hooded grebe definitely gets my vote for the national animal of Patagonia. It's just, I mean, it's beautiful. It's has incredible adaptations to live in some of those environments, as you mentioned. It's very resourceful uh, as far as finding food. And the hooded grebe is hanging on and it's just such a, a hopeful story. And I also imagine, Kenny, that this money is coming at a really critical time because I know COVID-19 has impacted so many institutions throughout the world, um, but especially conservation organizations are taking a a pretty big hit. So has COVID-19 impacted you or how are you dealing with that? Well, first, let me back a little bit to what you were saying before. Basically, the hoodie grip has become a symbol from Patagonia. Yeah, and uh, we cannot claim the the, the 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 success of that because the people that become in love with the grip. Sure. And nowadays we have like tour companies, uh, rugby clubs. Uh, I don't know stores in the in towns called Macatoviano, which is the local name. Uh, so it's kind of amazing how people is taking it have took the Hulgu as a symbol for, for Patagonia. So that, that's kind of a, a good, a good thing that ha- happened in the last 10 years. And that's, um, I, I, don't, I cannot claim all the... the, the, the <laughs> I understand. Uh, yeah, but, but, okay. And about the COVID situation, yeah, it was, was really hard. Actually, we, we didn't have a very big impact on our resources because we have kind of secure last year resources. So we were in a, in a good position at that time. But for sure, for the, this year and next year, is the Whitley Award was kind of a shot and on the right time, as you mentioned. But basically, the, the biggest problem with with COVID nineteen that we had a lot of restriction to move around. Right. Uh, basically, we have a lot of restriction to keep working on uh, basically on research on the winter time. Last year, during uh, the, the, the 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 biggest problem was last year during the the mid of uh, of the of the winter where the hood degree be having a lot of trouble because of this um, infrastructure that's been built, like the, the, these kind of mega dams in the Santa Cruz River. So we are doing a lot of research there. Uh, and we, we basically, we, we couldn't do any because we, the, the, we cannot move because we weren't allowed. So I think that was the, the, the biggest problem we had. Also during the summer, we have to re- reduce the number of volunteers, which What's, that was a shame because our volunteer program is kind of one of the, the things that I think I like the most about our project. We have had to, to date over 300 volunteers from basically all provinces in Argentina and over, I think, 15 countries in the world. So I think we are really proud of, of that uh, volunteer program. Yeah. But, well, we have, to re- we have to reduce the number of people we have because we have all these quarantine uh, protocols and stuff like that. So it was kind of a tricky situation uh, but basically I, I think now now we are we have adapted to, to the COVID situation and we but yeah I think the, the whole world is 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 in a, in a crisis economical crisis and as you said sometimes government the first time that they cut is some conservation and research and stuff like that yeah and now Kenny with that being said what advice do you have if somebody wants to help protect the hooded grebe? What should they do, or what can they do from home, or uh, while travel still limited? Well, 
basically, I, I, I always say, say the same. That, uh, I, I think that being involved and getting to, to know the situation is really important. So be kind of get in touch with the institution like Plural Life or Aves Argentinas or Ambiente Sur or, or our, uh, our, we have our own kind of uh, social media like Instagram, Facebook um, called Programa Patagonia which are in Spanish, so most of the, or your audience probably is not going to be really fun of, but I don't, I don't oh, know. Oh no, don't you worry. I will get it, I will get it out there. I'm, I'm, I'm searching oh, yeah. for you guys right now. So we, we will cool. definitely be fans. Our, we have a lot of international listeners, but also from the US, it's always good to uh, support other things and to just get more familiar with uh, other people and other uh, projects. So. Yes, we'll definitely put uh, put all of your links out there. And so cool. you think that, that's a good way to, a good start to learn more about uh, what's happening in your region? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I think that's kind of, is the, the first step to to kind of to, to support the old conservation project. Then of course, the, the, there are many other ways, as, as I mentioned, as volunteer to, to feel, to feel work or, I don't know, supporting as members, the, the institutions and stuff like that. Yeah, there, this, there's many, many ways. But I think that the first, the first is getting involved to basically spreading the word is always is important. So I think that's, and that's the thing we can do everybody for many, many conservation projects. So yeah, I, I, I really like to, to, to think that that's kind of a, the best way to, to, to support any conservation project. And Kenny, you've obviously made a career out of your passion for bird watching uh, since you've been a teenager. And so what is your advice for someone that wants to work with birds or get into bird conservation? Well, my advice to people who is interested on, on bird conservation or, or basically to work with birds at all is basically not not get disappointed at the first time because it's, <laughs> it's not, not, not always easy to get involved with conservation yeah, projects. That's because, true. Yeah, sometimes the resources of, of conservation projects are small, so it's hard for those conservation to, to get more people involved, uh, at least as, a, as for a career, uh, because there's usually the, the most kind of uh, uh, expensive are the, 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 the cost for getting people paid uh so you don't have to become be basically disappointed at the first time and you have to keep working and trying to to get involved with as many conservation and many institutions and as many people as possible kenny i think that is excellent advice and i i really hope that uh some of our listeners are out there thinking like yes i I want to do that. I'll go through the first couple trial and error periods where I might not see the bird that I want to see, or I might only see it for a little while, but definitely persistence pays off. Hard work pays off. And just being passionate about these incredible creatures. I mean, obviously the hooded grebe is just fascinating with its history recently discovered and then critically endangered and now people fighting for it. Uh, but Birds in general, I just love their behavior from their courtship rituals to how how tough they are and how they're able to survive in harsh environments. And so I just think that the hooded grebe story and the work that you're, you and your team are doing really needs to be 
complimented, applauded, and uh, and told. So I would love for everyone listening to this podcast to please share this story and uh, share this this interview and also check out the amazing platforms, right? Because we can all do that from our couch. Uh, check out at www.avesargentinas.org.ar. And of course, I'll put that up on our show notes as well. And now, Kenny, would you also remind the listeners what some of the other Twitter and Facebook platforms which they can follow you and find out more about the work that you're doing? Well, I can recommend to follow our our platforms, special special platforms of, of our project, which is called Pat Programa Patagonia. We have both in Facebook and Twitter. I'm uh, sorry, and Instagram. And I can sh- you can follow me myself on, on Twitter, which is my Kini Wrestler, my my, my name. Uh, I, although my my how you call username is Kini Polegus, which is a, a a play word with a genius of perform neotropic. <laughs> <But, laughs> I love it. You can find me. <laughs> you can find me as as Kini Wrestler. And, but also, yeah, I think the most interesting is Aves Argentinas. They have a lot of information about uh, not only the, pro- the, the, the Patagonia program, but also about the birth of, of the neotropics, which is quite cool. And I'm just really hopeful, Kenny, that through our conversation today, that um, people will get more excited about the Hooded Grieve and just once again, even... And once again, even just more excited about the birds in their backyard, because you and I, we know... We love birds. They're incredible creatures. And, and if we come together and work together, saving them isn't, isn't that hard, right? No, I, not at all. It's quite easy to, to do a lot of, a lot of actions uh, to, to protect the birds or animals, wildlife in general. Uh, you need to be kind of organized and we have to act together. That's, that's kind of the, the key point. Uh, but it takes time. Sometimes it a little bit could be a little bit disappointing at the at the at the, at the beginning, but then they start to if you keep pushing hard, it's basically you start to see some results, and that's kind of really encouraging. Well, Dr. Kenny Rosler, I want to thank you so much for spending some time with me today and sharing with me all of your passion and your projects and your hard work on saving the hooded grebe. And hopefully uh, you and I can talk again um, and in the future to see how things are going. Thank you. As I mentioned before, uh, I think all these kind of... uh, getting to know the, the, the project and the grievance is really important. So I think that your work is really important for conservation. So thank you for the invitation. And yeah, I'm going to be more than happy to talk as many times as you want. <laughs> I love um, it. About grid conservation or whatever other species from Argentina or, 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 or Patagonia you want to talk. I'm kind of fascinated about all species. So awesome. I, it would be a pleasure. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. And thank you everyone for listening and have a great day.